0: When I think about the subject of generosity, and I think at times, I wonder what God thinks about how we think about generosity. Or when, when God sees us be generous with our money or our time, what, is, what does he think about that? A couple years ago, I to a situation that happened, I had that thought and that question pop into my mind. In my last church, we were building a fairly significant addition to our uh, church facility. Our people had committed what they were gonna give to that particular property, and they were, or that project rather, and they were quite generous. The challenge was, though, is that the bids that came in on the, the, the build at first matched our gifts, so we were gonna be able to do it debt-free, And we were attempting to do the the project totally debt-free in that way. And then over time, what happened is the cash flow didn't happen fast enough, and so the the window on our bids ran out, and so we had to have the project rebid. Well, when that happened, the cost for the building, especially the price of steel, had gone up significantly, so suddenly now there was a gap between our cost of our building and what our people were going to, had committed to give. And the longer we waited and the longer the money waited to come in, the project kept getting more and more expensive. And so it was going to outpace one another. And so this was a major problem for our our church. The leadership team um, decided that we needed to let our church know this was happening. And so we, we, we invited them. We called on them and said, look, we need, I think the number was like $300,000 in additional money. That just pledged, but given and the next, I think it was like three months, or this project isn't gonna happen. Well, a businessman in our church called me and said, hey, I wanna meet with you. So I drove over to Grand Rapids, met with him in his office, and he said, look, this project has to happen. And I said, I know it does. He's like, well, what are you gonna do? And I'm like, I, I mean, we're waiting and gonna see what's gonna happen. We have to trust the Lord, I don't know. He said, here's what's gonna happen. You're going to go back to the church, and you're going to keep asking them for money like you've, all, like, you, like you've already done. But here's the thing. This project has to happen, and whatever the difference is between what the church gives and what the project need is, I'll go ahead and meet. I was like, are you serious? He's like, Yes. I was like, awesome. Like this, is, like this was the mo- one of the most exciting days of my pastoral career. Like the Lord had, had clearly answered. I remember driving back in the car from Grand Rapids to Holland. The sky was blue and I was thinking about this beautiful moment. And I couldn't wait to Sunday. Not because I was able to tell them, because I couldn't tell them about this gift. But instead, I encouraged them to give and I knew that we were gonna hit the target. At that moment, I didn't need their money. We already had it. And the invitation was for them to be part of something that was going to be even bigger than themselves. I was inviting them to give, not because of their money, but because I wanted them to be part of something that was even beyond themselves. And as I was driving back from Grand Rapids to Holland, I had this in my thought, in my mind. I wonder if this is how God looks at our giving. The reality is God doesn't need your money. It's his already, Right? God owns it all, and yet he invites us to be a part of his economy of grace. He invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. In the next four weeks, we're in the series on stewardship, and what I want to do today is to connect the idea of stewardship and generosity. The idea is, what does it mean to be all in? What does it mean to take everything that we are, everything we own, and say, God, it, it, it all belongs to you. Last week, we looked at four foundational principles of this idea of stewardship. We looked at what it means that God is our creator. If he's creator, he owns it all. We looked at what it means for us to be image bearers, that God has endued us with particular qualities that make what we do unique from the rest of the creation. That means whatever you did this week that went really well and you felt the favor of God, like, man, this, I feel God's favor. You need to know that when you did that, it's because of the image of God. We also looked at the fact that stewardship requires actions. It's not theoretical, it's, it's practical. And it means, fourth, that God has given us gifts and that we're to use those gifts in order to maximize his glory. So the whole thing with stewardship is this. It's not what we want from you, but rather what we want for you. So here's my question. Did that mindset, all in stewardship, that change how you viewed your life this week? I heard from a number of you, someone this week had their eyewatch stolen, and they said, you know what, I was mad at first, I thought, you know what, just, just a little eyewatch, Lord wanted to give it to somebody else, so let it go. I heard from a mom who realized that a child could become an idol of the heart, and that this new little baby needed to be sort of all in under God's care, and that she was sort of using the child as a a mirror for her own success and her own fulfillment. What we're trying to do this week is to connect this idea of stewardship and what it means for us to be generous. If you're a steward, as you'll see, then we're called to be faithful. And if you've been graced with the gospel, then you're called to be generous. So stewardship and generosity go together. So what I want to do is show this to you in two texts, 1 Corinthians 4 and also 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. What I want to do is help you understand that if stewardship is the first step, then generosity is the second step, and they go together. You, you can't understand biblical stewardship without understanding the foundations, as we talked about last week, but also having that lead you into Generosity. Or you could think of it in regards to our logo, like the first outer rim is stewardship, and then the second rim, or the second step that you take getting into the all-in category is this issue of generosity. So stewards are called to be faithful. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter four. Keep your finger in 2 Corinthians eight. We'll come right back to that text in a few moments. Paul is writing to a church that needed some pastoral instruction. You need to know a little bit about the context at Corinth to know why he's saying the things that he's saying. The city of Corinth was a port city in modern-day Greece. It was sort of the commercial center between the east and west trade routes. And like all port cities that are central to imports and exports, think New York or Los Angeles, there's certain things that tend to develop in those renowned cities. They tend to be cities marked by wealth, They tend to be cities marked by intelligence. They they tend to be cities marked by artistic creativity. And with that many people, they also tend to be marked by immorality. Just, Just think of any major city around the world, and you would see that those characteristics are there, and they were there in the city of Corinth. Now, the challenge is, is that the characteristics of their culture began to get inside the church. And just so you know, that happens here as well. The characteristics of um, the northern Indianapolis area begin to affect our own church. It affects how we think about one another and the divisions that we even create among one another. And Paul is writing to this church because their divisions and, frankly, their pride was getting the better of them. They had divided themselves up into camps related to their favorite apostle. For instance, some said, I'm of Paul. Others said, I'm of Peter. And others said, I'm of Apollos. They were guilty of quarreling amongst themselves, even comparing themselves in regards to their spiritual gifts. And, and in fact, they were critical, sinfully critical, of the Apostle Paul's ministry. They even had the audacity to say, Well, when he writes to us, his words are strong and powerful. But when he comes, he's just not a very good speaker. I mean, can you imagine? These, this church thought it was the bomb.com or something. So they, 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 they treated one another poorly. They treated, poor, they treated Paul with a sense of judgment. So he writes to them because they, they needed some particular instruction. Now, look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul is speaking into this divisive culture, and he says this, this is how one should regard us. So how should you think about Paul, and how should you think about Apollos? And there's a stewardship issue under here. He says, you're to think of us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul says, when you think about Apollos, and when you think about Paul, and when you think about Peter, here's how you should think about us. We are servants. You know what that word means? That word means the servant who's an under rower. The word literally is under rower. The idea is a servant in the bottom of a ship who's manning an oar. Paul says that's who we are. Apollos and Paul, we are manning an oar in the bottom of the ship. And then he says we are stewards of the mysteries of God. That word steward simply means the one who administers the affairs of another's house. It's the combination of two Greek words that means house and manager. So you you can think of it as a butler. Paul basically says, look, we're under rowers and we're butlers, we just deliver the goods. Or think of it in a modern day context, we're just simply UPS delivery guys, right? We, we have the goods and we deliver them to you. So like when the UPS guy or the FedEx guy shows up at my house and he drops the package down, I say, hey, thank you, what I mean is, thanks for doing your job and delivering me the goods that I bought. I'm not saying thanks for the gift, right? He's simply doing what he's supposed to be doing. So. Paul has this view of himself and he wants his church to understand him that way. And look, this is really important if you're exceptionally gifted. If you've got gifts and abilities that put you at the front of the class or put you on a fast career path or you're just like phenomenal at making money, you just do something and money just flows in because of the way in which God has gifted you, you need to remember steward and servant because it's not uncommon then for people to start singing your praises. This is the best company I ever worked for. You're the best manager I ever had. That's the best song I've ever heard. That's the best speech I could have ever possibly imagined. And if you're not careful, you can begin to believe that press. Begin to think, yeah, that's right. I am pretty good. My company is pretty good. Or, yeah, I am the best parent you've ever seen. I am the best, best manager you've ever worked for. And, and you can begin to let those compliments begin to stick to you. And Paul here reminds these people of the church of Corinth that he and Apollos are just servants and stewards. And then he says this in verse 2, this is really important. Moreover, it is required of servants that they be found faithful. That'd be a great word to underline in your Bible. Faithful. That word means trustworthy. It simply means that you carry out the desires of another in an appropriate way. So you need to understand that stewardship and faithfulness are linked together. Stewardship and faithfulness are so linked together that faithfulness is essentially the main role or the main definition of success for a steward. In order for a steward to be successful, he or she has to be faithful. In the same way that a judge has to be decisive. If a judge isn't decisive, then why be a judge, right? You're supposed to judge. a court case comes to the judge. He's like, I don't know what to do here. Um, give me some time. I don't know. What do you guys think we should do? I mean, you're a judge. You're supposed to decide, right? That's what judges do. Or if you're an artist, artists are creative. They're supposed to do things that are different and unique. That's what makes them an artist. In the same way that decisiveness is to a judge and creativity is to an artist, so faithfulness is to a steward. To fail at faithfulness is to fail at being a steward. So, that then prompted some thoughts in my mind this week. Like, how, how does the word faithful land on you? I mean, at one level, I'm sure it lands positively. Like To be faithful is good, but like I say that my dog is faithful, right? Or, let me put it this way. If I have lunch with a pastor in the area, and I ask him, hey, how's your ministry going? If he says to me, well, I'm being faithful, my first thought's gonna be, ooh, it's come to that, right? <laughs> ooh, that's all you got, right? Faithful, right? Instead, we, we typically associate words of success like, like energetic or strategic or innovative or creative. But faithful? Well, the point is this, that yes, faithfulness is central to what it means to be a steward. And here's what I wanna press in. Could it be that we have this This subtle ownership mindset, or even pride issue, as it relates to what we do. Is it possible that rather seeing what we've been given as something that we're supposed to be faithful with, we end up seeing ourselves, or things, our careers, our homes, or our gifts as something that demands even more than faithfulness? See, stewards are called to be faithful. And the thing I would just ask you this morning would be this, are you faithful Are you a faithful steward of what God's entrusted to you? Or are you so focused on what you don't have, about what you wish you could grab a hold of, and and what you don't yet possess, that faithfulness has begun to leak? Or or, or maybe you've got so many things that are going on, so so many challenges, so many responsibilities, so many children, so many people who you're trying to pour into that you think, look, I can't be faithful because it's just simply too much. Stewardship is directly connected to faithfulness. And and then Paul shows us why. Look at verses three to five. He talks about a coming day of accountability. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So what I want you to see here, and we're getting this text in just a second, in verse 5, is that Paul is living with this, this scoreboard in another world. Or as a friend of mine says, we need to remember that the scoreboard is in heaven. That we live on earth, but there's another realm that we need to be living for. Verse five, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. And then he lists three things that relate to the Lord's return that need to be kept in mind as we pursue faithfulness as stewards. He says, first, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. Secondly, will disclose the purposes of the heart. And finally, then each one will have his commendation from God. You see, Central to the idea of faithfulness as a steward is realizing that there is coming a day when everything that's been private will be brought to light, including your giving record, including how selfish you were with your time, including all the ways in which you hoarded things that nobody knows about, but Paul says, look, I'm living for a day because one day everything that's going on is going to be clear. Secondly, he says, there's a motivational issue. So all the motivations are gonna be clear. All those times that we, someone gave you a compliment and you said, praise the Lord, and you meant, yeah, that was awesome, right? Those motivations, the times when you gave because you wanted somebody to say thank you, the times that you wanted to create the perception of generosity, or when you mistakenly thought, Because I've been given a lot of money, the size of my gift means that I'm generous, when the reality is when you had a little money, you were a whole lot more generous than when you are when you got a lot of money. The number's just bigger, but it's not. it actually could be less generous. And then finally, he says that rewards will be distributed, and that's part of the equation. Now, this sounds really similar, doesn't it? Something that Jesus said, and we'll look at this text at the last week, week four, when he talked about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also when he talks about the fact that we're to store up treasures in heaven, the idea is this, that stewardship, faithfulness, and the future are all tied together. The faithful steward lives his or her life with an unseen, hidden, and future agenda in mind. So the person who's all in lives not for this world, but for the next one. The person who is all in lives not for what is perceived, what people think, but what are the real motivations of the heart, and this person lives with this mindset that God knows it all. He knows where I've been generous, and he knows when I've not. He knows the things that I curl my fingers around. We're going to talk about this in a moment. There are things in all of our lives, these these whatever it is that we like just the way we like it because it says something about us or it gives us safety or makes us feel um, like like we're in control and we curl our fingers around those things. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's a possession. Sometimes it's a career. Sometimes it's um, what people think of you and you curl your fingers around it and what Paul is saying here is that there's an important reality that we need to embrace of living for another realm. Mark it down somewhere in your mind. Stewardship and generosity are all about your heart and what you think about the future. You tell me what you think about the future, and I could pretty much predict what you think about your money. You tell me what you think about the future, and we have a really interesting conversation about how you think about your time. So this applies then to everything that God has entrusted to us. In the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is applying this stewardship argument and this faithfulness argument in order to tamp down their their proud divisions where they have mistakenly taken the gifts of the apostles, Peter and Apollos. They've taken their gifts and they've, they've used them in order to say something about themselves, which is why Paul says what he says in verse 7. Look at verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And the answer, of course, is nothing. And then he says, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What Paul is getting to is that these gifts, we can use them as a mirror that we think says something about ourselves. And listen, we all know this. You get a new piece of technology or a new watch or a new vehicle and you drive up and your coworkers like, hey, nice ride. When did you get that? And the reality is, is we need to think differently about not only who we are, but also where we attach our affections and what's really valuable. We live for another realm. See, this is having raised three boys, having taught each of them to drive and survive. Praise the Lord. Um, one, of the, one of my like, little convictions, parenting tip for boys, would be this. Don't buy teenage boys hot rods. Instead, buy them Toyota Corollas, right? And so what we did is I found this, this, this old 2001 somewhat rusted Toyota Corolla. It's supposed to have four cylinders. Mine actually only has three. It has a massive leak on one of them, so it only has three cylinders, and I call it the governor. And what it does is th- there's nothing awesome, nothing sexy, nothing <laughs> about this car at all, right? Now, my boys tell me it's got a pretty good stereo, but seriously, you pull up into the youth ministry parking lot and you're blaring your stereo in a gray Toyota Corolla, that's just gonna not, it's gonna slow you down a little bit, you know what I'm saying? And then one day my boy said to me, hey dad, do you know we have the exact same car as grandma and grandpa? And I said, exactly, that's right. <laughs> now why am I doing that? Here's why, and sorry for those of you who are Toyota Corolla owners, I just dissed you, but listen. The, The reason that I do that is because I know that car can get into his soul and that'll affect the gas pedal, attitude, safety, all of that, because that possession can suddenly now become the means of expression of my greatness. And friends, we all know that's true. We all know that's true. What Paul is saying here is that stewardship is connected to faithfulness because there's another evaluative moment coming in the future. Here's my question. Do you live like that? Do you you think about your money, do you think about your time as something that needs to be stewarded because the scoreboard's in heaven? Or do you just want the thrill right now with the new thing, the new toy, the the, the new look from someone like, mmm, that's nice. And what that does in your soul, do you want your reward now? Or we'll see in the last week, do you want your reward in the future? Faithfulness and stewardship go hand in hand. Here's the second point, and it's this. There is this idea of generosity. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. So after Paul writes his first letter to this church, he then writes a second letter to them, and one of the things he says to them is about the matter of giving. See, there was some Jerusalem saints that were suffering from a famine, Paul went to a region called Macedonia, not a very wealthy region, took an offering for those saints in Jerusalem, and these impoverished people gave very generously. It's it's interesting, statistically this is proven true. Do you know that poor people are generally more generous than rich people, percentage-wise? And this happens with the Macedonians. So then Paul writes to this wealthy church in the city of Corinth, they had made a promise that they were gonna give to this Jerusalem saint offering, And he writes to them to encourage them that they indeed fulfill their commitment to give for this particular project. So what does he say to them? And what kind of promises are here in this text? There's, There's four that I just want to highlight. And these have been really helpful to me over my lifetime when my fingers get tempted to curl around my money. When I'm tempted to say "Mm, no I don't want to give or that makes me nervous what are the promises how do I fight the curl here's a few things from this text number one we fight the curl by being reminded that God was gracious to me look at second Corinthians 8 and verse 9 for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich The idea is this, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've experienced the grace of Jesus, it means that he's lavished on you the most ultimate gift that you could ever receive and you were so spiritually poor that you not only didn't deserve it, it was impossible for you to ever get out of that. You were in such debt in terms of your own sinfulness and God rescued you and lavished the love of Christ on you and what Paul is gonna say here is if you understand what happened to you in the gospel, then it kills the curl. It reminds you that God has been so generous and so kind to you that then you love to be able to give. In fact, that's what he says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because it means you understand the beauty of God's grace. Cheerful givers get it. I had nothing. I was in such debt to God and his, his wrath because of my sinfulness, and he poured out Jesus for me so that all my sins are forgiven and my future is determined now not by my own righteousness but because of christ and if i love the gospel then i will be generous in fact here's what paul says in verse eight i say this not as a command but to prove the earnestness to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine i want to be Careful, I'm not just talking about money, but let me just put it this way. Look, if you don't have a generous heart, like I don't know how you understand the gospel. You you can't like like understand the beauty of God's mercy and the beauty of his love, and then have a heart where you just cling to things. Doesn't make any sense. And if you struggle with giving, you struggle with being generous with anything, it's time, your money, your career, what people think of you, a possession, You uncurl your fingers by preaching the gospel and saying to yourself, no, self, God's been merciful and gracious and generous to me. I've received something that I could never possibly repay, this $100. What is that in comparison to the beauty of what God has done for me? Of course I would love to give because God has so given to me. And when we give, friends, we are acknowledging that yes, indeed, we do believe that the gospel has been... Incredibly generous to us. When you understand and love the gospel, you're inclined to curl your fingers less. One of the reasons that we're going to sing at the end is so that we can remind our heads and our hearts that yes, this, this, this thing I believe, I believe this with all my heart, so that hopefully this next week when there's an opportunity for you to be generous, that your first answer is Yes because God's answer to you in Christ was yes. Here's the second truth. God will help me. I love chapter 9 and verse 8. Look at it. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let me explain to you what this means. Whenever you give anything, whenever you give your time, Whenever you give your money, whenever you give you a possession, that immediately creates a gap. Whatever that money could have bought you in terms of security or in terms of future provision, it's gone because you gave it. Or if you lend out a tool, say your neighbor says, hey, can I borrow your chainsaw? You're like, sure. You let him borrow it. He doesn't return it right away. He puts it in his garage. He leaves for a week on vacation, and a limb in your yard falls down. Now... Your chainsaw is in his garage and you can't get to it. Gap. Okay? Or somebody, you got a full schedule, and someone says, Hey, can I just have 15 minutes of your time? And you know what that means, right? It's gonna be 45. And you're like, Oh, I got so many things going on, but instead you're generous with your time. It creates a gap. How am I gonna get everything done? And what this text tells us that God is able to provide grace. So that there's a sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. Which means, in the case of a schedule, I've seen this happen before. Say yes, I'm like, I don't know how in the world. Like, my schedule's not going to work today. And then suddenly someone cancels. Or God will help you to be able to get things done in a more compressed time frame. Or from a financial standpoint, the Lord gives you favor with your boss, and suddenly there's an unexpected promotion or an unexpected financial blessing that comes your way. What this text says is that God will give you the grace. In some cases, it's just the contentment to say, you know what? We don't need to do that. And I'm happy. I'm happy that my neighbor has my chainsaw. This is awesome and I'm gonna get a handsaw out because I need the workout, right? And so, this is awesome. Apparently the Lord thinks I need bigger biceps and so does my wife, so here I go. So I'm gonna do this, right? And So you, you suddenly have, have contentment and joy and the Lord is able to help you and you believe, no, look, God is able to help me. So here's the bottom line. When God calls you to give something, some of this is gonna to happen to you this week, you have the opportunity to be generous and you stop and you think, Ugh, that's going to create a gap. At that moment, the question is, do I believe in my money or do I believe in God? At that moment, you have to decide, do I trust in this or do I trust in God's ability to give me grace? And that's why generosity at any level is so beautiful because it practically says, I believe in you. In fact, I believe you in you so much. Watch this, I'm something crazy. I'm going to throw my money away by giving it away to somebody else. It loses its ability to help me because I don't believe money helps me, I believe God helps me. Next. This text tells us that God can provide for me Verses nine through 10, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, which means this, God is able to provide for you. It's easy to say it here, it really matters when you've given something away. And don't make the mistake thinking, well, I'll really put that into practice when I'm like two years from now when I'm at the top of my career. Or teenagers, something you need to start young. Or maybe you're right out of college, you get a lot of school debt, you need to get after that debt, but you also need to get in the habit of giving. Because there's a wrong mindset that somehow you think, well, when I have a lot of money, then it'll be easier to give, and that statistically isn't true. Believing that God can provide for us means that God is the one who can give you favor with your boss. God is the one who can make that 15-year-old furnace go 17 years. God is the one who can cause that car with a 180,000 miles just to keep on rolling. And the question is, you can put your trust in your things or are you are going to put your trust in the Lord? A few years ago, one of our sons um, had a Little pot of money, about thirty bucks. Ten years old. It's a lot of money, and a missionary of some sorts, an offering that we were taking in church. I don't remember what it was. Happened, and he gave to that offering. We were getting ready to go for vacation, and we told our kids, "Hey, get all your spending money ready because we're going to go on vacation." And so, I uh, was asking them, "You got your money ready?" "Yep, yep. Get your money ready." And he was like, "I don't know. I don't. I don't have. I don't have any spending money." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" I saw like thirty bucks in your little jar. He goes, Yeah, it's gone. I'm like, what happened to it? He goes, I gave it all to the missionary. Oh And I said, wait a second, wait a second, wait, wait, you gave all your money to the missionary? All of it. All of it. But I got no money for vacation. I'm broke. And I remember Sarah and I in that conversation. We talked about this. this I said, "You remember that, honey?" She said, "Oh, I remember that." We burst into tears. We grabbed a hold of him. We said, "We're so proud of you, bro. Ain't got no money." And I said, "Bro, oh, so proud of you. Mom and dad got lots of money. We're gonna give you money for vacation." And so, like, he got a lot more than thirty bucks because I was all excited. My son gave it all. Right? And here's my question: Do you think about God like that? Are you going to trust in your little four hundred one k? Trust in your employer. Trust in your business plan. You're going to trust in all these little things, or are you going to trust the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? And maybe just a couple of those cows will wander into your herd, right? You're going to trust the God who owns it all. You're going to trust in your little ability to figure it all out. Finally, 2 Corinthians nine says that God will be thanked. This is beautiful, but listen, you don't. If, you don't, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't make any sense, what I'm about to say. And I hope that you become a follower of Jesus so that you, you understand this. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what happens. According to this text, giving actually creates glory, glory to God. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The idea is Paul's gonna take this money, gonna give it to Jerusalem saints, they're gonna hear about it, they're gonna praise God for people in Corinth that they didn't even know. And oh, by the way, and there's also a racial thing that's going on here because you got Jewish people in deep need and you got Gentiles who have now received the gospel giving to Jewish believers. And in effect, those Gentiles are saying, we are one with you, we love you, here be blessed. And those people are gonna go, thank God for his provision. And what he's saying here is that your money, listen, your money or your actions or giving away of a possession can actually create people saying, I thank God. Four, verse 12, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So if you love the glory of God, this serves as a wonderful motivator. The motivator is that when you give, when you give anything, it has the possibility of creating gratitude to God. And people who have been redeemed by the gospel love it when God gets glory. David Mathis puts it this way, one of the effects of the gospel going deeper into our souls is that it frees our fingers to loosen their grasp on our goods. Generosity is one of the great evidences of truly being a Christian. Why? Because giving demonstrates that I understand what the gospel is. Giving demonstrates that I want to be generous in the way in which God's been generous to me and it demonstrates that I want to be able to do something that's gonna result in God being glorified and I love it when God's glorified. I love it so much. I love that more than a brand new car. I love that more than a house that I can't afford. I love, I love the glory of God more. When I, every time you give anything, take a dollar, you're saying, God, I love you more and I love your glory more than what this dollar could have bought me. So here it goes in the plate or online, Bye bye dollar because it's going to make something more than what it would have given me in this world. Now. Let me ask you to do some personal inventory. First, if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's a number of things that I've tried to explain this morning that will not make sense until you understand the gospel. Namely, what does it mean for a person's sins to be forgiven? If somebody brought you here, you should ask them, tell me your story about how you came to faith in Christ. And when you hear their story, you'll begin to understand why generosity is part of the heart of a Christian. And I hope that you'll also have a story like that where you know that everything I am and everything that I ever hope to be is only because of Christ. If you are a Christian, surely there's a category or two in your life. There, there's categories in mind where we struggle to curl our fingers around stuff. It could be a particular level of a bank account or a retirement plan. It could be a particular thing at your house. Maybe it's, a car or your home maybe it could be your career and what people think of you and you curl your fingers around it you know what's interesting about that that's not unknown to the lord and there's some of you who just today need to feel the weight of god just saying to you you need you need to confess that to me why not Simply confess that and say, Lord, you know I'm curling my fingers around this. Forgive me, help me to uncurl my fingers. I believe in the gospel. Help me to have a a different attitude about this. Secondly, as you think about the subject of generosity, where's, where's your heart on the matter of generosity? Is it guarded? Maybe a bit resistant? Maybe even afraid? Would you describe yourself as a cheerful giver? Are you motivated to give out of guilt? Maybe out of greed. Like if I give, I get more and more and more and there's this awful prosperity gospel mindset. Or are you motivated to give because God's been so gracious to you? Finally, when it comes to the issue of generosity, I would imagine that there's a fair number who you'd be really helped if you just took a step of generosity this week. Just take one. Whether it's making a meal for somebody Maybe it's um, saying yes to someone in terms of getting together that you had said no to before. Maybe it's you need to put $50 in your pocket and just say, God, this is in my pocket this week and I'm just going to wait to see who this is dedicated to you. I'm just going to look and when I see the need, I'm going to go ahead and meet that need. There's some of you that financial giving is just not a part of, of, of your spiritual discipline and can I just encourage you that even if it's a small thing, you need to be able to take the small and first step of figuring out how do I give? And I promise you, when you take that step, something will happen inside your soul and it'll be like, that was right. I trust in you, Lord, and I'm gonna give this because I believe that the scoreboard's in heaven and that you've got control and I don't. God calls us to be stewards. He calls us as a graced people to be generous. Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And the answer, of course, is nothing. And then if that's true, and if the gospel has changed your life, then the deeper you go into the gospel, the easier it is for your hands to uncurl around the things that you'd grab a hold of. And when we uncurl our fingers... And when we're generous, we end up saying to the Lord, I trust you, like I really trust you, with my time, with my career, with my money, and we preach to our own hearts, watch how much I trust the Lord, watch me write this check. I trust in the Lord, he owns my life, not this money. So goodbye money, you don't own me, because God owns me, because generosity and stewardship, because being a steward and understanding the gospel, they go together. So friends, let's kill the curl by means of the gospel. Let's be a generous people. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we sing to get our affections in the right place about the gospel so that when you ask us to be generous, we will pray that you would Remind us of the beauty of who you are, the power of the redemption that we have in Christ. And Lord, let us hear and feel the words and the tune of this song so deeply so that it will live with us the rest of this week and we'll no longer curl our fingers around the things that we think are mine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.